Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I have Jeff Smith here with me today. I'm really excited to have you on, so thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind, just kind of get going and, and tell us a little bit about your story, like where you grew up and, and kind of about, about your upbringing. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Jeffrey Smith. I'm um, was born in 1981. Um, I lived in and around Tulsa my entire life. Uh, my parents divorced at a, when I was at an early age, and so uh, I was raised by a single mother for the most part. And uh, my great uncle uh, came in and lived with us and helped get us through school and get us to all the activities. Had one sister when I was growing up, and uh, it's great life lessons for me because, you know, typically you're raised by, you know, your parents or a single parent being, you know, just one generation ahead of you. But I had the experience of, of having two generations ahead of me. And my, my great uncle at the time was uh, in his late 60s into his 70s. So a very wise man, had served in the military, um, traveled the world. And so always listening to his stories and what he had done in his life. But he was, he was very handy. Um, knew how to do everything. In fact, I, I remember one of his Christmas presents. He, he received a clock in a hundred pieces. Really? And, and, and it was basically, it was like, you can put anything, you can take anything apart and put it back together again. So here's your Christmas present. Here's this <laughs> clock and yeah. you get to put it together. But he was that type of person. And so he always instilled in me, like work hard, um, take it upon yourself. You know, don't take your car in to get the oil changed, change the oil yourself. I mean, things yeah. like that. And so really, uh, a teaching experience as I, I grew up. Um, graduated uh, Broken Arrow High School in 1999. I had the privilege to play golf for Broken Arrow High School uh, during uh, during my last couple of years there. Um, loved playing golf. It's a it's a great sport being uh, individual sport uh, and also you know it's called the gentleman's game for a reason. And you know you're out there by yourself and and there's plenty of temptations to nudge your ball over, make a better lie. But really it's, it was a great teaching experience for me just to be like, you know what, even though this, this isn't the best opportunity, I, I'm going to go with it and fight my way out of it. And, mm-hmm. and so I had a blast doing that. Uh, and, and great, great education from Broken Arrow High School, which, um, uh, then just led into my career life and, and been working in, in different careers ever since. Yeah. So how did you get involved in golf growing up? So my grandfather um, played with a, a retired men's group at the Par 3 Golf Course of La Fortune here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And um, I was probably 10 or 11 years old, and he had gone to a garage. He had played, he was left-handed, okay. and he had gone to a garage sale and find a, found a used set of left-handed golf clubs, brought them to me, and I was like, well, Grandpa, this isn't going to work. Like, I'm not left-handed. Um, but I would, you know, go around the yard in his house with wiffle balls, and I would try left-handed, and... And after about three or four months, he was like, okay, I'm going to go get you a, you know, a right-handed set of, of clubs. And, and you know, grew up playing with him. And, and we would go out to the par three at La Fortune. He, he would take me out there with his buddies at uh, 6.30 in the morning. And we'd tee off and, and play 18 holes. And, and you could probably play in two and a half or three hours. Yeah. 
and he would leave and leave me there. Really? And I would go around that golf course like four or five more times just playing by myself. I just absolutely loved it. If the weather was nice, uh, I was always challenging myself, hey, can I play better on this hole? Can I play better in, in this nine holes? Can I play better in this round? And then my mother would come by after work at, you know, five thirty, six o'clock evening and she'd oh, wow. pick me up and, and go home. So it was, you know, a, a different way to start playing. It wasn't country club golf by any means. Yeah. Wasn't even a, a regular eight seventy two par 72 course. It was the par three of the fortune that I, I grew up playing with my grandpa. Yeah. And how old were you when you started doing this? I was probably 10 or 11 years old when I started. Um, never played a competitive round of golf until I was probably 15. Didn't know they existed, besides on, on TV. I mean, you could see it on TV. Um, but I, I didn't know there was junior tournaments out there. I, you know, I figured there was probably high school. Uh, but in the late 90s, I mean, golf was still that sport that was like, oh, you play golf. You're one of those that plays golf. And, yeah. And so, you know, you didn't scream about it. Tiger Woods wasn't around then. Yeah. And so you you didn't have that excitement behind it. So I, it was really in, uh, not until high school that I finally started to play competitively. Really? Yeah. So how did that transition going uh, out of high school? You wanted to become a golf pro, right? Yeah. Correct? So um, when I was in high school uh, and, and turned 16, a golf course in Broken Arrow called Battle Creek Golf Course has just opened. City of Broken Arrow on the golf course. And I was just enthralled with golf. I loved archi- the, the landscape architecture of a golf course, the beauty of a golf course. And so I went out and applied for the car barn position. I was probably 10th or 11th employee that they had ever hired at the golf course. Um, 16 years old and I parked carts every summer and, and then through school and just kind of worked my way up. I was always the one that, you know, if you said shift started at four, I'd be there at 3.30 waiting for my shift to start. I, I was just a hard worker. Um, when I ended up graduating high school, I moved into the pro shop, and uh, that was a big deal for me because I didn't have to be in the hot temperatures yeah. anymore. Uh, but I worked in the pro shop that summer, and again, just you know, proved to my bosses that I was dependable and a hard worker, and I would always be there and get the job done uh, and and get it done right. And so they saw that in me, and and they just kept elevating me into positions. And fortunate that, you know, other people ahead of me took other jobs and other career paths and, and decided to move on. And so by the time I was 20, so just in the in the few short years, um, the head pro at the time had, had left for another golf course. And I was the last man standing, basically. I was the assist I was the only assistant golf pro there at the time. And so I talked to the general manager and, and we talked together and it was like, you know what, we can we can handle this. And so de facto, I was the golf pro. I was the only pro that was was there. And, and I went and, and got my uh, PGA, not the tour card, but my PGA membership card. So I was a, a PGA golf professional uh, for about four years and, and taught people how to play golf and, and yeah. got to be around it every day. And then you went on tour, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's still happening. Maybe the senior tour someday. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it seems like 16 to 20, you become a golf pro. And then... You kind of talk about how work ethic is something that's always been instilled in you. Was that something, obviously, you talk about your your, uh, your growing up experiences, working hard, but was it something that was naturally instilled in you, do you think, or was it instilled over time? Or I think it was naturally in, instilled in me. You know, the best one of the best things that ever happened to me was my, my mother and my father both said, we're going to give you $2,000 each for your car. 
when you turn 16, we're going to give you $2,000. You can go get whatever car you want. But past that, if you want to drive it, you better have a job to get gas money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you better have money to be able to change the oil or whatever it took. I mean, that was all on me. And so I was, I wanted to be independent. I wanted to be able to go hang out with my buddies. I wanted to be able to run up to Sonic and get a slushie or things like that. And so I, I knew, I mean, the day I turned 16 and I had that car, I was like, I, I got to have a job and I got to work hard and I, I want to elevate. I don't want minimum wage. I want to elevate to where I'm, I'm uh, respected at, at the, in the workforce and I was making more money. And so I've always had that attitude. Mm-hmm. Were there certain people uh, that you looked up to at a young age uh, that kind of helped you become the person you became? You know, I, I would say, uh, you know, no big inspirational stories for me. Um, I, I, I looked up to my mother more than anything. Um, my, you know, my sister and I, even though she had the support and help of, of a great family, um, she maintained her career she never missed a, a softball game for my sister, a baseball game for me, a golf tournament eventually. Um, she was always there. I mean, she found a way to get it done. And I didn't probably respect that as much at the time as I do, you know, later on looking back. And I'm like, wow, that's, I mean, for when you don't have that spouse support to be like, hey, you go take care of this kid tonight. Absolutely. It, it's all on one person. I, I really admired that. And and I just knew that she worked hard. I mean, she she would help mow the lawn. She would help. I mean, anything around the house. She she didn't have that extra support to be able to mm-hmm. to uh, have a lazy day around the house and have somebody else do the chores. It was all on her to get that done. Yeah. So you had examples um, that were around you every single day that maybe you didn't realize until looking back. Maybe. Yeah. But you had people around you that instilled showed you those qualities that you. It was, yeah, it was, it was probably the little things that was, it was every day just like, Hey, you know, do this, Hey, make your bed every day, make sure your room's clean. If the laundry's in there, make sure the laundry's put up. Mm -hmm. It was all those little things that now I take for granted. And I'm, I'm on my kids now about what you need to get this done because that was the, that was the way that I was treated, but it creates that work ethic in you and and that ability to go in and just tackle any project head on and see how well you can do it. Mm-hmm. You have any favorite experiences growing up that you feel like shaped you aside from the ones you've already mentioned? You know, one golf story. Um, so when I was playing golf at, in high school, <clears throat> I was probably the third or fourth best on the team. And, and Broken Arrow had a, had a good team, but not a great team in the state at the time. And and I remember my senior year um, state championship, we had qualified, and I had the opportunity to go play Karsten Creek in Stillwater, which is where OSU plays golf at. Most beautiful golf course I've ever played. And played the first round and didn't, didn't do all that well. And, and the second round, the weather wasn't that great, and, and I, I just went out there. And obviously, I wasn't going to win the tournament, and, and Broken Arrow probably wasn't going to win the tournament. And so it was just out there to play for myself. And and everybody was struggling and I was just taking it a whole at a time. And I was like, you know, I'd make a par and I'd make a couple more pars. And, and, and I get on the 18th hole and I'm only five over for the day. And I'm like, wow, I mean, I, I haven't shot in the seventies, uh, very rarely, especially not on a golf course like Karsten Creek. And, sure. and I, I end up on the green and I've got a, probably a 10 foot putt for par um, and I make it and, and I, so I shoot 77 and I'm like, that is, I mean, for me, like that was a big deal. 
And then I, I go up to the scoreboard and, you know, all these kids that are so much better than me are turning in scores of 80, 82, 85. And I end up shooting the second lowest score that day out of the, you know, probably 75 kids that, that play that round. Yeah. And, and I was middle of the pack at best. But, you know, again, it was just one of those things that there was a challenge out there that day. And I was taking it one step at a time and fighting my way through it. Uh, and to come out of that then with an accomplishment of saying, not only did I probably play the best round I'd ever played, but I played better than almost every other kid there that day. Mm-hmm. And the accomplishment of knowing that you can do something like that when you're not supposed to. Yeah. I mean, you're, I was supposed to probably shoot 90 that day, mm-hmm. uh, but to shoot 77 was was something I'll always remember. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so you go from golfer. Did you wind up getting into building out of being a golf pro? How did that work? Yeah, so uh, when I was the golf pro, there was a gentleman that came and worked for me. uh, And uh, he was working in the golf shop some and working out on the golf course some. And um, he had retired from an insurance agency. And um, again, much older than I was. But we had had become friends and and chatted all the time. And and, um, he he decided he didn't want to stay retired and play golf. He he wanted to invest in a, a home building business. And there was one, uh, the Battle Creek Golf Course had homes being built around. And so he, he invested in this business. And then we would chat about that. Every time he would, he, we would be working together, we'd talk about the houses they were building and things like that. And after probably a year and a half or two years, um, he decided he didn't want to invest in one. He wanted to own his own business. And, and so he started his business. And I, I told him probably within a week of him starting his business, I was like, I've always loved architecture. I've always loved looking at houses. Um, I had kind of pursued a landscape architecture path and maybe designing golf courses because I, I loved golf and architecture. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I can see myself working for you. I just, I love real estate. And, um, you know, probably a year later, um, the time was right. And I called him and I was like, you know what? I, I think I'm done in the golf business. Um, it's a it, Golf business is tough because in the summertime, it's 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. Yeah. And I had my first child at the time. And so it wasn't a family friendly opportunity. And, and so I, I, I joined his team um, as a salesperson in real estate and uh, was selling houses and and did that for probably um, six to eight months for him. And uh, he came in one day and, and, you know, we had maintained a great friendship. And and he said, well, he said, I've got an interesting proposition for you. Um, my his son-in-law worked for him as his uh, job site superintendent, and his son-in-law was getting ready to start military officer school. Was going to be gone for eight weeks, and he said, "We've got thirty-seven houses under construction, and I've never really built houses. I, I personally had never built houses. He really hadn't built houses. He had just kind of been the management." He said, get in the truck. We're going to go out and we're going to learn how to build houses today. <laughs> and so I was like, well, that sounds interesting. And, yeah. and so, you know, we went out and, you know, looked at these houses and talked to the superintendent or talked talk to the subcontractors that were out there and figured out what was needed next and what material was needed. And uh, this was like 2005, 2006 time frame. And, and that's how I learned to build houses was basically, here's the fire. You're thrown in it. Yeah. You know, we've got to finish these houses for the customers. And uh, so I started in as a superintendent role. And, you know, six months later, the other superintendent that was there, he had moved on to another career path. And, and so I'm the lone man standing six months experience now, now building all of these houses. Um, but it was a great 
great opportunity for me to learn because I was forced to learn. There was mm-hmm. no other option. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, gained a lot of knowledge and, and um, stayed with um, that gentleman for probably another year and a half or so. I think I was with him a total of about two and a half years and decided I've, I've learned enough now. Why don't I do this on my own? And so I started my own building company. Really? Yeah. So was that that moment where you decided to take a step out and do something on your own? Was there any fear? Or was there more excitement? What was that experience like for you? I don't know that there was much excitement. It was all fear. It was all fear. It was fear driven. It was, you know, it, when you when you're managing a company for someone, the I guess the excitement is you you potentially see behind the scenes and you see the finances and you're like, wow, this is this is a great opportunity. I mean, this gentleman is is making a really good living, and for the most part, I was managing everything, and I was like, why don't I do this for myself? But again, I hadn't done it before. I hadn't owned a business, mm-hmm. hadn't set up a business, started paperwork or anything along those lines. And so a lot of fear because, I mean, you can go build a house, but is it going to sell? And if it doesn't sell, then that's not a very good career for you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I just, I went out and I picked a couple of locations and, and built a couple of houses and, um, they ended up selling and that's just kind of what started it. And it, it was like, you know, that first year it was a, a 1800 square foot house for $180,000. And I would have people that would come through and they would look at it and, and they would say, gosh, we really love, you know, what you're doing here, but we need a bonus room upstairs. We need that fourth bedroom. We we need this. And so the next year I'd build a spec house, it'd be 2,200 square feet and, and 225,000. And, after four years, they were all $700,000 and up. And I was like, I want to go back and build the small houses. <laughs> but it was, uh, it, it was fun to, to be able to, to get creative. I loved that part of the building industry. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the creative side. It's basically a form of art uh, and, and putting it together and working with hundreds of suppliers and subcontractors to put it all together to whether it was a $180,000 house or a $1.8 million house, it's someone's dream. Mm-hmm. It's their life goal. And you're able to put all of that together from a piece of paper and say, here you go and see the smile on in their face and the gratification they get. Yeah. So one thing that I hear is uh, landscape architecture. You liked thinking about that. You liked building houses. Are you a visionary type of person? You I can, can see something. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, very unique in that I mean, you can hand me a piece of paper and and I can just I can build it off the piece of paper. Um, you can take me to a, a remodel project that probably should be torn down, and, and I can in my mind go back to a hundred years ago when it was built and and see the glory of the house and be like, you can take this back to where it was and and put the color and the life back into it to where it's restored or built into something that it should be. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so moving into those bigger homes, what, or actually what year was this that you branched out and started on your own? I, I started my own company in 2006. Great okay. time to start a building company well, when, yeah. <laughs> when the real estate market took a turn in uh, probably the end of 2007. Um, you know, that was again, another learning curve for me because from what I was told uh, for the 15 years previous to me starting my business, um, you could build just about anything and there was somebody there to buy it. And when, you know, there was a lot of financial crisis and, and people were saving their money and they didn't want to buy or build houses in, in between 2007 and 2009, 
we really had to work on making our home stand out from, from the competitor's home. We had to work on the sales pitch. We had to work on the customer service side of things. It was not easy. It was, um, everything became very difficult to make sure that, that you could sell those houses instead of being an order taker, which I, you know, 15 years before they probably almost turned into just taking orders instead of working hard. Yeah. Honestly, kind of like right now, probably. It's similar to the housing market right now and that you finish a house and somebody's standing there. Multiple people are standing there waiting to buy it. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. So as you were scaling the size of your homes up, um, you were dipping into the the economy of 2008. Um, What was that like to experience that and to be building some bigger houses? Because whenever you're building smaller, there's a little bit more of a market. When you're building bigger, there's a smaller market. But... A different type of clientele. So what was the experience like as you were building bigger houses? You might have been going through the financial crash, uh, crash, but you survived that and you kept succeeding in business. What was that like? I mean, I think it's it's an achievement. I mean, any, any um, builder or business owner that goes through a financial crisis and comes out on the other side, I mean, they, they have to hold their head up high. And, and maybe they don't come out the way they thought they would or, or the way they dreamed they would, but they survived. And you have to you have to work harder than anyone else. I mean, that's the mindset is that if my competitor is working eight hours, I'm going to go to work 10 hours. If my competitor has a process of scheduling two meetings with a client to potentially sell a house, I want to schedule four with them. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I want to be in front of someone. I want to show them how creative we can be, how the quality that we were building um, the over financial oversight to make sure that it wasn't going to go over budget, whatever it took. And, and you had to kind of be a chameleon based on who the client was. I mean, some, some people were, um, they only cared about the, the creative side of things and, and what kind of, what color the granite on the island was going to be. And others only cared about, was it going to be energy efficient and what were my monthly utility bills going to be? And others were, I want it to be safe for my family and I want to have a safe room and other, other amenities in there. And so you would always have to put that package together and, and work your tail off to make sure that not only you sold it, but then you followed through and you, you, you finished the product on time, on budget, because the, the easiest and best um, next home sale is coming from the person that you just sold to. Yeah. And, and they're going to tell their friends and invite them over for that housewarming party. And you want to make sure when they've got 20 or 30 guests in their house, they're all ooing and awing and looking at things and being like, wow, I mean, this is pretty amazing. Yeah. And that customer is like, it is amazing. And you need to talk to this person uh, compared to, boy, this has been a rough experience. Don't, don't go this way. I mean, you, you have to make sure that you have fulfilled your obligation uh, and, and not only fulfilled it, but exceeded it mm-hmm. Ex- and exceeded their expectations so that they're out, you know, screaming from the top of the mountains. This is the person that you need to be doing business with. Yeah. So finding out how to uh, work harder than your competition, but also go above and beyond for your clients. Yeah. Um, and there's probably clients that were well, the ones that you didn't list that want it cheaper. So. Well, and the ones that want it cheaper. And, and some of those people just have to go on to someone else. I mean, sure. you, you, you weren't able to win every every single client over. Um, but you, you had to be, I always thought you had to be open and, and upfront and honest with someone. And if you couldn't, 
if you if you if I felt like I couldn't meet their expectations financially, quality, whatever it might be, I would have that conversation with them, and that is something that probably gave me two or three sales mm-hmm. because they were like, "Wow, I really appreciate you saying that because there there are companies out there that will tell you exactly what you want to hear, mm-hmm. and six months later that might not be what you receive yeah absolutely uh, and so you know setting that expectation so that you can exceed it is going to set you up for success. And let's talk about that because you set this expectation up for your client to do the best that you can to deliver on time, on budget, a really good product. Uh, there's so many things, like so many intangibles that go into uh, building a house. There's so many variables, supply, labor. How did you manage all of that? And was it stressful for you? Or did you enjoy the managing process of getting things done in a timely period? in the right way and uh, exceeding your client's expectations? So I've always enjoyed, I'm a numbers person. I mean, math was my strong suit in in school uh, and logistics. I mean, I I just get enthralled in logistics. And I mean, you put together, you know, seven suppliers and eight subcontractors in one week and how is it all going to work together? That's that's my sweet spot. Like I'm out there with them. I want to be in the middle of it. I want to be directing traffic. I guess I should have been a flight coordinator bringing airplanes yeah. in because yeah. that, I mean, I, I just, I, I love that, that part of the home building business or any business is, is being able to coordinate and plan and then see that all come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, going in from building, you wind up getting involved in the HBA mm-hmm. and you wind up getting on the ladder, mm-hmm. which the ladder is basically to become the president of the HBA. And you went through that. How did you get in the HBA and what experience was that like going yeah. through that? So right after I started my, my own building company, um, I heard, I had known about the event called the Parade of Homes here in, in Tulsa and they're all over the United States. I'm very successful for the builders because of the traffic that comes through. And so the first opportunity that I had, I knew that I wanted to participate in that parade. And you have to be a Home Builder Association member to do that. And so I, I filled out the application, got approved. Um, the first probably two years I was involved, uh, and not involved, I was a member, um, I had my home in the, in the Parade of Homes and, and reaped the rewards and the benefits of, of all of the um, advertising and, and promotion that that provided for my company. Um, I, I started to attend a couple of events and, and I'm not a big partier networker type of person. I'm a mm-hmm. pretty, um, you know, internal shy, bashful person until I really get to know you. And, um, what I found was I, I enjoyed, um, the volunteer opportunities where we could work together. If there was a manual labor job or if there was a project that needed to be completed with the HBA, that's that's what I really enjoyed, and and I was networking with people without really knowing it because we were there to accomplish a task, and so I started probably two thousand eight two thousand nine volunteering, um, and and just kept taking steps into higher roles at the at the HBA here in Tulsa, and uh, eventually in uh, two thousand ten. Uh, I was asked to serve as president of the Builders Council, which was just the council that had topics for all the builders in the in the community, and uh, went through that year of leadership, and and that kind of opened the door for me to serve on their board of directors and serve on their executive committee and and some higher roles, and and I think it allowed the membership and and the current board to see my work ethic and my leadership skills that I was still growing at the time. 
um, and, and gain a lot of respect for me, which helped me in my business. It gave me relationships with other business owners that I was working with, where typically I was just working with a salesperson. Now I had contacts with the, the business owners, and, and that was a great benefit. Um, but it led to um, the the board asking me to serve on that ladder, and um, that's the three years of 2011 through 13 to be um, secretary, vice president, and, and president. And uh, I, I was asked to serve at the time. I had uh, three young children, uh, and I went home and I talked to my wife about it, and, and I was like, you know, I, I, at the time I was still, gosh, in my late 20s. And, you know, as a home builder, you don't see too many home builders in their, in their 20s, and so a lot of customers they would shy away from me for that very reason they would they would go to the more experienced builder um and, and so i talked to her about this opportunity to serve and i was like this is a great credential opportunity for me if i can if i can show um the hba that i can serve as as president then that's an opportunity that i can also show the general public that i'm respected in the industry and so um i, I took it head on again she she supported me my wife supported me and took it head on and, and served those three years. And in 2013, served as president of the local HBA. Um, 75, um, no, 70 year history at the time. Um, and was the youngest president ever of the Tulsa HBA. And still even today has served as the youngest president of the HBA. Uh, and it just was, I mean, you talk about developing leadership skills again. Um, the local HBA has thousand members, 70 on the board of directors. And here, um, the day I was installed was about a month before I turned 30. It's installed as president. It was about a month before I turned 30. Uh, and so I'm standing up in front of builders and, and business owners that had been doing this for 40 or 50 years and I'm trying to lead. Yeah. Uh, and, and so again, I was thrown to, thrown to the fire and thrown to the wolves and uh, but what a great opportunity to go in and, and work with what I considered my peers. I don't know that they considered that of me, but I considered that of them. And, uh -huh. and to be able to lead them and lead that organization in 2013 was amazing. Yeah. Was there any people going back to the very beginning when you started that uh, really kind of opened their arms and was very inviting to you to get to know you and learn from and kind of take you under their wing? I, I think, I mean, several um, from a, 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 a business owner or an associate uh, professional standpoint, um, I gained a lot of respect from them from where I was volunteering. And they could see how hard I was working and getting jobs done. And, and a lot of the builders in, in, the, uh, in the association weren't doing that. They wanted to stay at the board level and they didn't want to get down in the weeds and work hard. And so I, I, I had a lot of people support me. Um, and then your father, Rob Miles, um, he serving as president in 2011 of the HBA and he saw what I was doing and had a respect for me. And, and again, not growing up in the business and, and not having a second generation, like, well, you're third generation, but not having that other, the older generation to help you. I leaned on Rob for um, my knowledge of building, mm -hmm. uh, and then for my knowledge of serving in, in leadership. And he was always there. I, I remember we would probably we would go to lunch just he and I, um, probably four or five times a year. Really, and and sometimes I felt like it was a crying fest for me. Like, how can <laughs> this be continue to happen? And he'd be like, "Been there, done that, Jeff. Yeah. Like, here's how, here's what you need to do." 
And, and I would leave that lunch and I'm like, gosh, you know, it, it's true. I mean, this, this, this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. And no matter how bad you might think it is that day, there are great things lying ahead and you have to work your way through the, the valleys to, to get to the mountaintops where you're, you're going to rejoice. Yeah. And that's one thing I wanted to touch on is just <clears throat> learning who were those people that kind of took you under their wing, kind of helped you out at such a young age. Cause that's, that's very young to be you know, president of the HBA and get involved in that. And then also when you're young, getting involved in an organization that's predominantly, um, I would say the majority is older, older men and women that have been building for a while. Um, and there's a story I want to touch on because I think it, it speaks a little bit about who you are and you get to understand why you've been so successful um, at such a young age, but throughout your life is there's a story that my dad's actually told me, you, t- you touched on him. You guys were at a, a big meeting um, that was involving a, a big decision for uh, home building. And so there's many, many people at this, at this meeting and they ask about doing uh, something that would um, change the way things had been done. And you actually stepped up and spoke in front of all of them saying a reason maybe why that shouldn't be done because you felt that way towards it. Um, and I think that in itself is something uh, that is very, it doesn't happen very often because you're stepping into an environment that is very uncomfortable. Uh, there's people around you that have been doing it for longer. What made you, or let's just go back to the start of that. You know, why did you feel and have the conviction to step up and, and take ownership of the idea and the thoughts that you had? You know, I, I think everyone has, has their principles that they believe in. And, you know, this was a, a topic that was brought up at our state home builders association. And, and the conversation was, um, you know, increasing the amount of dues that our members would pay. And again, being a numbers guy, I had looked at the budget and, and I, I knew what I was looking at and, and I knew that it, it wasn't necessary to increase the dues. Like there was other things that could be done. There was, there was savings that could be had on the expense side of things for that organization. But the easy thing is always to say, Hey, let's just increase what everybody pays us, and and that covers you know everything else, and and that was the direction the conversation was headed. And in fact, you know everybody in the room except for myself was was ready to vote and and pass this and and really not think twice about it. And so the the president at the time had, had stood up and and he said, "Is there any more conversation?" and and here I am, you know, in my twenties, and like you say, I mean, the the room is is mainly pale and male. Uh, and it's, <laughs> I, the, these are definitely my father figures, or some even my grandfather figures that I'm <laughs> in the room with, and had been in the business a long time, and 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 very well respected. And 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 I was like, you know what? I was like, I just don't feel like it's right to do this at at this time. Uh, and so I, I stood up and I was like. I just went through what I had researched and I said, I've looked at the finances and the association doesn't need this extra money right now. They might need it in a year, but they don't need it right now because everything was fine. And I was like, there's other ways that we can save money. And I feel like that it's not in the best interest of our members. And I was, I was driven. I'm, I'm driven to lead for others. And so I was thinking about, you know, back home in Tulsa, Oklahoma, here's a thousand members 
that we're going to have to pay probably just a $25, very minimal fee. So really it wasn't that big of a deal. But it was like they were going to have to pay $25 more because this group of people sitting in this room felt like it was the easy thing to do. And, and, I, and I, when I stood up and spoke, I was like, well, I think we need to work harder on saving money and, and figuring out where we can cut these expenses. And then if all else fails, then we need to increase our dues uh, and wait till the last minute to do that. Because once you increase it, you're, you're never going to bring it back to where it was. Mm-hmm. And, and that $25 increase to someone could mean the difference between them renewing their membership or, or joining the organization or not. I mean, maybe that was the threshold that they, you know, it was five twenty five instead of $500 and maybe that was the threshold or whatever it was. And so I spoke for a couple of minutes and, and nobody really said anything. And, and then they proceeded with the vote and, and, you know, typically you're in a, a big meeting and, and I've been in probably a thousand at this point. And if you call for a vote, I've probably had five votes out of a thousand meetings where there's actually been a yay and a nay. Yeah. It's either all yay or all nay, but everyone votes the same way. And so they call and, and they call for the yays and everybody's yay. And, and they call for the nays and, and I just loudly say nay. Mm-hmm. And probably half the room turns and looks at me and I just sat there and I didn't <laughs> smile. I didn't, I mean, I just, I voted no. I mean, I still believed that we should have worked harder um, but I also understood and agreed that I was part of that group that had voted to increase the dues. And once I had stated my case and it, it did not influence, influence anyone's vote and I voted the way that my conscience told me to and the, how I believe my principles led me to, um, then I would move on from it and I wasn't going to complain about it and I wasn't going to go out and tell everybody that I voted no, but it is what it, you know, was what it was. That gained me more respect from my peers than, than anything I've ever done because when that meeting was over and, and we walked outside or we walked up to, to have a cocktail or you know whatever we went to do next, there must have been 20 or 25 that walked up to me and they were like, that was really impressive and I, we, I can't believe that you, you really did that and thank you for looking at the financials and thank you for thinking about that. And really then for two or three years after that, anytime there was a financial vote, they would always in the room be like, where's Jeff at? You know, what's Jeff think about this type of deal? And so that's the respect that it gained. And it was like, I'm, I'm no smarter at financials than anybody else, but, but I just stated my case and I, yeah. I felt like I had to. And, I, I, res- and I, I respect now that others in the room respected what I was doing. Yeah, what a powerful story and powerful lesson. Um, because just the fact of standing up for the convictions you believe in when it's uncommon, when it's uh, something that maybe most people would not do, um, that speaks volumes of what you talked about earlier, honesty, and then also integrity is another word that I think of when I think of that. So what a great story. And obviously, I'm sure that gained a lot of respect that day. And I've always loved that <clears throat> that story. My dad's only mentioned it once, once or twice, maybe. But um, I think there's so much to be learned from a, a story like that. So let's transition. You, you're the president of the HPA. You're still building houses throughout this whole whole time. And then you wound up getting the CEO, EO position at the uh, HPA of Tulsa. What made you want to get out of, step out of home building and into that position where it was full-time, you're leading the organization? Um, just kind of describe that experience. 
Yeah, so, you know, I served as president in 2013, still heavily involved in 2014. Uh, by 2015, um, was stepping back from the association a lot of ways to focus on my business, family, you know, other other opportunities. Um, and August, summer, late summer 2015, I, I got a phone call from our former um, CEO of the association, and um, he had accepted the, a similar job in Raleigh, North Carolina. And he was just calling to tell me that, that he was leaving. We had become friends, you know, serving with, with one another and had a, had a great respect for one another. Uh, and so I went home that evening and having dinner with my wife and family. And I was like, you're never going to believe the phone call I got today. I, I thought this gentleman was going to serve until his death, really. I mean, this was this was the perfect job for him. And I said, he's leaving. He's going to North Carolina. And within two seconds, my wife, Ashley, is like, that's the perfect job for you. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I have a job. I don't, I mean, that's kind of a slap in the face. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I kind of like building houses. And, <laughs> and so we, you know, laughed about it and chatted about it. But, it, you know, it moved on <clears throat> from it. And uh, the association... Uh, formed a hiring committee and um, they had put me on the hiring committee to hire the new executive officer on this search team and so the very first meeting <clears throat> this is probably three weeks later we go into this meeting and and here I'm at the table again and and there's builders and, and business owners and there's there's eight or ten of us in the room and the current president at the time is serving as chair of this committee and and um, he starts out by saying, you know, okay, the, the former executive officer is going to be with us about another three weeks. And, you know, how do we want to do this? And, and what's the process do we want to do? We want to hire a headhunter. Do we want to do this on our own type deal? And, and someone at the table, you know, says, this would be a lot easier if the right person would just apply for this job and the right person sitting at the table. And everyone at the same time, I'm sitting at the table, everyone's table looks down at me and I'm like, I don't know what's happening here. Like <laughs> my wife's told me this, all of these people have, have, are looking at me and I was like, I have a job that I, I really enjoy. And so I, I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm doing. And, and so continue on down this pathway and, and probably another, oh, 30 to 45 days passes. And, and I've been helping with the search committee and, and the more I'm thinking about it and, and the more I'm, you know, listening to, you know, how the, <clears throat> the conversation went with my wife and how the conversation went there. And, and I just had a passion for the HBA and everything that it was doing and, and the nonprofit side of things and the service to the members in the community. And uh, I think the final trigger was we got our health insurance bill. And we had three kids at the time and my wife and I, and she was self-employed. And I looked at the number on the health insurance bill and I was like, you know, the HBA provides insurance for their employees. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, we, I sat down with my wife again and I was like, let's have a serious conversation about this. And she was supportive of it. And, you know, it was definitely a complete different career change. I mean, when you work for yourself, you're not reporting to anyone you can take off as much as you want, but you have to work as much as you want or as yeah. much as you don't want. Yeah. I was like, if I go to work for somebody, like it's an eight to five job. I mean, this is, this is going to be different for our family. And mm -hmm. she said, you should, you should try it. And so I, I called the current president and I was like, man, you might kill me because they, they were interviewing people at this time. They were flying people in from out of the state. And I was like, you might kill me. I was like, but I'm going to resign from the hiring committee and I'm going to send you my resume. And I was like, I, I want you to continue down the process you're on because I want 
the association to hire the best candidate possible, but I, I would ask for your consideration in, in hiring me or looking at me. I have no nonprofit experience. Mm-hmm. I have no executive leadership experience. I mean, I served as president, but that was from a volunteer standpoint and not a staff management standpoint. You know, I've, I've owned my own business. I've, you know, I've done some things, but I've, I'm not the perfect candidate on paper. Have no college degree. And there's on, nothing on, that, on paper. On, on, on paper, paper, on paper, I don't. I if I gave you my resume, you would probably just throw it in the trash and be like, <laughs> I don't know why this guy's applying. But the relationships I built, and I was probably the perfect candidate. And so they went through the process. In in November of 2015, they they called and they were like, "You are the best candidate." And so they offered me the position, and I wrapped up my home building company within three or four months and finished the houses I had going. I worked dual roles for that three or four month time frame. And uh, it's it's been the best decision for me and my family uh, for the last six years. I, I get to still be engaged in an industry of home building and remodeling that I love. I get to fight for them. Um, I end up at the city hall or the state capitol or in Washington, D.C., fighting for home ownership, which I strongly believe in, fighting for affordable housing, whatever that price means, as long as it's affordable. Um, and, and I get to to be a part of people's lives that I then had grown up for probably my, my building career. I had grown up with all of these people, and now I get to I got to maintain that. And mm-hmm. so it's been amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing, as you look back and you tell that story, you see you talked about relationships. You had developed relationships with the people uh, in the organization that made the decisions, not knowing that they would make the decisions, but you had made the choice a while back to get to know people. And then you also have always made the choice to work hard no matter what you're doing. And so that's apparent by the things that you did. So you're working alongside volunteering with these people. And uh, obviously they like you, but more than that, you're working hard and seeing the hard work and the diligence that you have towards the things. And then also some stories we talked about, you have honesty and integrity. So all these things, you know, add up and they lead you into a position to where now you're serving as a president, uh, people within the home building community, um, and anyone really in the real estate community as well, because there's lots of associates as well. So it's fun to see the progression of, you know, ways we may not know how things are happening in the moment. They all serve a purpose in some capacity and you can only know that looking back. So, Um, I think that's a a really cool story to hear how that came about. So right now you've served in that capacity. What have you learned in a leadership position? Because you have employees and then you have tons and tons of members that you have to lead on a daily basis. What have you learned about leadership? And what have you always, has leadership changed from what you thought versus what you do now? I think, you know, again, you go back to your principles of leadership and, and those don't change as quickly but I would say leadership changes every day because, you know, I, I manage a staff of eight. Um, I consider them my team. They're not my employees. Um, we work together. We, if we have an event, I work as hard as they do. I'll take the trash out. I will jump in and serve as bartender. I mean, put on it a flamingo outfit. I'll put on a flamingo outfit <laughs> and promote the event. I mean, whatever it is, I'm, I, I'm not the person that's going to say, you know, you guys all go do this and I'm going to sit back and, and sit on the throne as, as the CEO of, of the organization. Um, so I'm in there with them. Um, you're, you're all the time with volunteers. I'm the chief cheerleader for them. I, I'm encouraging them. I'm, I'm like, hey, I, I need your help planting flowers. Doesn't that sound like fun? <laughs> 
Um, but we'll get four people to come out and plant flowers, you know, whatever it might be. Um, you know, just always learning how to work with people and, and what, what it is that they're looking for. And, and I've always said, you know, it leading, if you're going to lead properly, you have to lead people in the right direction. And if, if I have a staff member or a volunteer that has a direction they want to go, and let's say that direction is they want to increase their, there's a, a volunteer member and they want to increase the amount of business. Well, I want to lead them to support the association, but knowing that they're going to be increasing their business because of people they're around. Mm-hmm. I'm going to connect them with the right people so that they come out of that opportunity, that volunteer opportunity, thinking, wow, that was amazing. Like I increased my business and I leave the table thinking, thank you. Like we got this project done and mm-hmm. you guys did amazing at it. Um, it, it is, it's always evolving. Um into something else every, every year and and knowing that you know there's no leader that's an expert in everything and so finding those individuals around you that are better than you at something and getting them on your team instead of against you is huge um, knowing that you can call on certain people and they will respond because of a mutual respect that you have and they won't look down on you like I can't believe you can't I can't believe you don't know that or you can't do that on your own. Mm-hmm. But they appreciate the opportunity to step up to that level, and it makes everyone look better. And so that that my my boys play baseball, which is a team sport. And so that I've always kind of thought leading as a team. Um, but I'm I'm not the coach necessarily. I'm. I'm maybe the captain of the team. I'm out there with them and I'm going to support that because if I'm going to ask someone to to get sweaty and dirty and you know who knows what else, I'm not going to stand back with a suit on and you know with with a lemonade in my hand. Like I'm <laughs> I'm going to be right there with them and I'm I'm going to gain that respect for them because like you said, I mean, I I, I go back to times when I first got involved in the organization where I was on my hands and knees at our home and garden show doing landscape. And there was a lady around me that was yelling at me sometimes because she didn't think I was doing it right. Um, That lady now serves as probably my most valuable financial expert in the association. And I can call on her and be like, don't make fun of me, but I'm going to ask you this question. Like, what do you think we should do? Uh And it's a great conversation that we have. And sometimes it's just talking to someone else about it and then you come up with an idea and it's like great and i don't take credit for it i just we we do it as a team like everything is moving forward as, together as a team mm. yeah that's awesome have you ever heard of uh donald miller or bob goff at all i have not no uh, there's there's a story <clears throat> that when you talk about leading and how people want to be led um there was a conference going on and i can't remember which one of those guys it was but they wound up saying okay everyone stand up we're going outside so they go outside, and he gets to a certain point wherever he wanted to be at, and he stands up on a platform outside or maybe on a wall or something and says, I just wanted to make a point showing you that everyone wants to be led and taken somewhere. And it's just a matter of are you going to take people in the right direction like you talked about, and are you going to be there uh, going into the weeds with them instead of standing back and just watching. Yeah. So I think that's a powerful lesson. 
So uh, let's quickly talk about your family. You said your boys play baseball. Talk about one, one thing I do think when I look back at your stories now, you've always, when there's been a major decision, you've always gone and made a decision with your wife. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you guys meet real quick? Because she was a golfer, wasn't she? Yeah, so my, my wife played golf at Oral Roberts University, mm-hmm. and um, they were practicing at Battle Creek where I was working, and so that's how we met. Uh, we spent several summers playing golf until nine o'clock every single evening that was our dates was that we would go out on the golf course and and fell in love and really the only love of my life as far as dating someone goes and Mm -hmm. and uh, we got married at a young age i think i was 20 she was 22 still finishing up her her college degree and again it's that team the team atmosphere that i mean we've we've done everything together and we decided to have um, children at a fairly young age in today's world. I mean, we were 22, I think, when we had our, our first son. Uh, we now have four boys that range from 17 to 2. <laughs> and um, they have all of their activities, and, and we support them. And we travel the country watching hundreds and hundreds of baseball games every single year. Um, we chase a two-year-old around the ballpark. Um, but we still make time. If there is an open night during the week, we all sit down at the dinner table. And the dinner might be macaroni and cheese and, yeah. and corn dogs. <laughs> but we will sit down at the dinner table and just kind of relax and, and chat about what's going on in everyone's life. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of respect for, for my wife and in return her for me. Um, our, our kids have a lot of respect for us and it's just a great family environment and there's not too many times that I won't be receiving a recognition or talking like in an interview like this or something like that that my wife doesn't come into the conversation Mm -hmm. Uh, and she is she is part of my leadership style my leadership skills she's part of my team And, and so I wouldn't do anything without her approval and support yeah how has she made you a better person? Oh, she kicks me out of bed every morning and <laughs> gets me going. Um, you know, I, I think just the the unconditional support. Um, you know, we've everybody goes through ups and downs and loss of family members and things like that. And and just knowing that, you know, we're able to do it together. Um, managing calendars with with four children is difficult. Um, managing a, a schedule of events. The Home Builders Association puts on about 100 events a year and managing that schedule and, you know, not not having regrets about it and not, you know, being supportive of it and knowing that, okay, this is a big deal for my husband that he has to be at this event and so we're going to be home by ourselves again tonight. But, you know, she, she understands that. And then, like I said, when we get together as a family, it's everything is fun. Yeah, when we get back together. Yeah, that's awesome. And you said your boys play baseball. Two older boys play baseball. My oldest plays for Owasso High School uh, mm-hmm. baseball right now. He's a junior in high school, and then I have a thirteen-year-old that plays competitive or travel baseball now. Eleven-year-old um, that played baseball for three years, and it was absolutely not for him. He <laughs> despises going to baseball games. <laughs> um, in fact, he was just telling me last night that he um, he's going into seventh. He's going into sixth grade next year, and he is super excited for the band. And neither of the other boys play band. I played band for a couple of years, and so that's going to be a new adventure for us. 
but my wife and I'll be fully supportive of it. And if we have to listen to the trumpet or the drums in our house, then that's what we'll do. <laughs> um, and then the two-year-old, I mean, he's a baseball fanatic. He, he, if you give him a ball, he'll throw it at you and it's time okay. to play catch. And that's 24 hours a day. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's their fun. Yeah. Well, I know we got to get you out here because there's a big game tonight for you. But we've got a little bit of a quick round for you, a little fire round. Yep. So finish the sentence. <clears throat> So I'll recite or I'll say something and then you can finish um, the end of the sentence. So you can do anything if. Uh, you set your mind to it and work hard. Favorite team. The Atlanta Braves. Atlanta Braves. Perseverance means. Um, sticking with something until it's complete. Uh, patience. One of the most important things you can have. My mission is to serve others and make sure that they are successful. Awesome. Um, what do you have a, a certain piece of favorite advice that you've ever been given? Oh man, um, I don't know that there's one one thing that anyone's told me. Um, I, I would say again, it's just the little things growing up uh, with my mother and my my great uncle. And that it's always, you know, get the little things done. And, you know, if that means making your bed every day, it's, it's, a, it's a task that's accomplished. And I know there's some great YouTube videos out there about um, a, a Texas um, college graduation that's about that. Yeah. Um, but that, that hit home and it was like, just accomplish the little task because... It's amazing how good you feel when you accomplish something. Mm. And if that even means making your bed, if you go look at it and it looks nice, you're like, oh, I did that. And then it's great when you come home and you don't have to do it later. Yeah. Or the laundry or, you know, cleaning or vacuuming the room, whatever that Carries might be. Over. Yeah. It, it's just, you know, pick out a task and, and accomplish it and you will go far in life. Uh, this podcast is called Building Excellence. What do you think building excellence means to you? Building excellence would be um, building your team, um, getting the right people on that team. And if you have people on that team that aren't the right people, find where they can fit in. Find everyone is good at something. Everyone is an expert at something or passionate about something. If you put them in the, in the right opportunity, you will all succeed and, and you will have an excellent team. Mm. Um, Jeff, thanks so much for being on the show. You're, um, you're a heck of a builder, built some beautiful homes, but you're a heck of a, a leader and it carries over into what you do on a daily basis. So thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yep. Hey everyone. It's Bailey miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.